0: Well, welcome to Trinity Church here. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new to Trinity Church, uh, we love studying through the Bible. Uh, the Trinity isn't Father, Son, and Holy Bible, known as it's the Holy Spirit in there. But uh, our uh, passion for the Bible is actually derivative of our love for our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit that we believe God has spoken, and therefore we want to listen very carefully to every word he has said. Uh, typically we preach through uh, books of the Bible uh, because what we, we believe it, it is helpful for us as a church. It's not helpful for us to hijack a verse here, hijack another verse there, preach a very a therapeutic uh, lesson on how to fix broken relationships in your life, how to make your your marriage uh, better. Uh, we we come to the addit- with the attitude to God's word that we want to hear what God says uh, because you you don't need to hear what I think about bacon or the value of Red Bull or the, how the Packers are going to win next week. That's a very little value to you. God's truth is is what's of ultimate value, and it is very applicable uh, to our lives. Uh, if you didn't receive a listening guide, you can lift your hand up. Alex, I'll get you one from the back, has a place to take uh, notes and scripture uh, passage for us today. Um, but just to give you a little context, so we're in the Old Testament. So that's the first uh, two-thirds of uh, your Bible, which leads up to and prepares for the coming of Jesus. Uh, Jesus divides the Old Testament into the law, the prophets, and the writings, and uh, explains that they all concern him. You know, without the Old Testament, we'd have no context for why Jesus came, what he came uh, to do. And, and we're in uh, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament uh, writings, uh, written some uh, 2,500 plus years ago, a uh, reminder of the context in this time, that uh, God's people were in exile. This was a very difficult time for them. Felt like they had lost their identity. They were strangers in a strange land. Uh, the original readers of this scroll think end of uh, Daniel's life uh, were in a very similar uh, situation. There uh, was much reason to worry that they knew they were relegated to national irrelevance. There was much reason to fear the powers around, and it certainly seemed like the gods of the nations were winning and, and the the one true God uh, was not, and as we, but but that is not the case here. As we move into Daniel, we, we see that God is very much at work in the faithful remnant. Uh, today we're in uh, Daniel seven, and we're looking at the beginning and end of the the chapter. So you probably thought it was weird we preached to the middle portion of the. Uh, the chapter in the last uh, couple weeks, uh, Tom and DJ unpacked uh, the vision of the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne. Uh, the Son of Man coming from the clouds of heaven. Son of Man who would be king. And surrounding that vision, So uh, we have the vision uh, dream and its interpretation at the uh, end of this chapter. So that's what we're going to be working through today. Uh, Chapter 7 is a very important uh, chapter to this book. It it somewhat acts as a hinge. So uh, grammatically, it's the last Aramaic uh, chapter. Chapters 2 through 7. We're going back Hebrew next week. um, And and it closes that off. uh, Chapters 2 through 7, being Aramaic, they um, act as a chiasm that two... Uh, parallels with uh, seven. At the same time, though, it's opening up the uh, very prophetic uh, nature of the rest of the book. We, we've seen seen crazy stuff in this uh, book already. Think back to chapter two. It's only getting crazier. Let me promise you that. Uh, as elders, we had a, a text conversation the, this past week of, what in the world does this mean? It's it's getting uh, very, very crazy. But, you know, we're committed to studying all of God's Word. We believe it is all profitable. Second uh, Timothy 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, even passages that are not easy, like uh, this one, so... Oh, let's dig in. Daniel 7. We're going to read the whole uh, chapter. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts Came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise. Devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things." As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and of which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given from the, the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings." He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Uh, Pray with me. Father God, we need the help of your spirit uh, to rightly divide uh, your truth in your word. I pray that this would not just be an exercise uh, of the mind as we work our way through Daniel 7 here, but that it would make its way down into our hearts, that it would change who we are, that we would live differently because we have heard from you. We pray this in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. So to start off, uh, you need to be in awe of this vision dream. Uh, kids, what, what do you think of the this uh, vision? What do you think about these beasts? Hosanna, you got any thoughts there? Uh, a lion with eagle's wings. Wings a uh, plucked off, lifted from the ground, made to stand on two feet. Mind of a human given to it, a, a bear raised up on one side, has in its mouth uh, three ribs, and it's, it's going back for more. A leopard with four bird-like wings, and how many heads does it have? Four. And, and the fourth beast, you can't even describe it, compare it to an animal, two large rows of iron teeth, ten horns, and another horn that comes up and plucks out three of the horns, and this horn has eyes and a mouth that speaks arrogant words. So, so kids, I've got a project for you. I, I want you to, either during the sermon or later today, I want you to uh, draw a picture of these beasts, all right. To give you a little inspiration, I, I've got a few um, Google images. I, I don't know, but I, I think you guys can do better, better than this. I, I've heard this. Uh, we've got a couple more here. It might be inspiration for a tattoo, also, if you'd like. Um, I, I, one, one more. I, I see. I, I think you guys can top top uh, these. Uh, depictions of the characters, the beasts in this passage. But as for us adults, well, let's not let just the kids be wowed and terrified by this dream vision. It should draw you in with intrigue, you know, causing you to think deeply concerning the meaning. Don't just dismiss it as, this isn't Paul where he just says it like it is, so I don't have time for this. Uh, That's the the wrong attitude. Let's work our way through uh, this uh, vision and interpretation. So uh, first verse, it says, the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So this is out of the chronological order we've become accustomed to in the the past uh, few uh, chapters chronologically, it fits between uh, chapter four and, and chapter five. But remember, this is a hinge uh, passage, closing off uh, the Aramaic section, opening up this a uh, prophetic uh, rest uh, focus for the rest of the book. And Daniel has a dream filled with visions while lying on his bed. Uh, we'll see later in verse uh, 15. Uh, his spirit is distressed, literally within its sheath, uh, viewing the body as a container, receptacle uh, for the spirit. He, he was very alarmed at the end of the chapter, verse 28. You know, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. It takes its toll on uh, Daniel. And then we get here a summary of the content of the dream. We have four winds of the sky, one coming from each direction of the compass, meaning winds all over the earth, stirring up the great sea. So the sea is unnamed here. Obviously, the original readers, that there would be one sea that they would think of, the Mediterranean Sea. But if we focus primarily on geographical identification of the sea, we'll, we'll miss the purpose of this unnamed sea plays in this uh, dream, uh, as opposed to these beasts coming from, say, the heavens, like the we talked about last week, that the Son of Man uh, comes. The Old Testament views the sea as a symbol of chaos of evil. Uh, Revelation 21, uh, in the new heaven, new earth, uh, the sea is no more. Not saying that there's no body of water other than rivers. Uh, the idea is that there's no more chaos. Evil is finally and forever defeated. And it's very appropriate what, what comes from the sea. What, what comes up from them? We have four beasts, so there's two different ways Daniel could have presented this. He could have given a very generic description of the beast and focused on his own like personal reaction and how terrified he was. He, he doesn't do that. He gives a little bit of uh, the toll it uh, took on, on him, but he primarily focuses on uh, the descriptions of this beast, that they are jarring. This vivid portrayal of the beast elicits the appropriate response uh, from the readers. Uh, that they're not, the, this uh, vision dream isn't designed to be in, interpreted by us out on the patio drinking beer on a, on a Saturday. And I just kicking around. What in the world could these beasts mean? It's designed to be interpreted by those who feel a sense of terror, who are emotionally invested in this story, feel the alarming nature, the terror of these beasts. And before we get into the four beasts, let me give you in full disclosure. So I interpret this with chapter. Two, um, Each chapter reveals uh, different details. Chapter two, from a human per- perspective. Um, chapter seven, take from a divine perspective. But, but I'm convinced they're describing the same uh, kingdoms, kings. And, and you also, before we get into here, have to see the close connection between king and a kingdom. Uh, that this uh, passage employs. That the king rules the kingdom, that there's no great kingdom without a strong king. This passage will use king and kingdom interchangeably. You know, we're told in verse 17 that the four beasts represent four kings, but then in verse uh, 23, uh, it indicates that the fourth beast represents the fourth kingdom. Again, king and kingdom is so closely tied that they're used interchangeably. So the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wing, wings. Majesty and authority of a lion. The power of an eagle. So I, I take this to be Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. The idea of, of plucking off wings and made to stand like a man seems like a very apt description of what we Uh, saw just a couple weeks ago uh, of the proud king whom uh, God humbled and uh, sent him uh, roaming like a beast uh, for a time until he recognized that the king of heaven rules. Second beast here, like a bear. And this bear isn't taking a nap, isn't going to hibernation. It's raised up on one side It has uh, three ribs in in its mouth and it isn't satisfied. It's ready to pounce. It's going back for more. I I take this to be uh, Medo-Persia. Certainly the description here is generic enough and could fit multiple uh, kingdoms. That's where the parallel in uh, chapter two um, comes in. And this, the four ribs in its mouth uh, very well could be a reference to uh, the Persian conquest of Lydia, Egypt, and uh, uh, Babylon. Third beast, like a leopard. Leopards known for their sudden, unexpected attacks. And it has four wings of a bird, really, really fast, and four heads, Uh, looking in all directions uh, for its next prey. And dominion is given to it. Definitely fits Greece uh, under Alexander's rule and his conquests. And and the four heads uh, very well could be a reference to the fourfold division of his empire at his death. And then the fourth beast. He can't... Uh, find a simile to uh, compare this beast to dreadful, strong nature of this beast. Great iron teeth, uh, so which sounds awfully like that uh, a fourth building material of the statue in uh, chapter two. O- only here the image is ruthless. It's not just a statue uh, crumbling. It has ten horns Horns used by animals for both self-defense and for attacking. But it has, uh, looking awfully weird, has five times the normal number of horns. Extraordinary power, completeness of that power. And then this little horn comes and uproots three horns. Some of the horns. You know, I, I get how a horn could uproot one horn or even two. But three horns is quite a feat, is quite powerful. And the eyes like human eyes, it suggests uh, intelligence, ability to observe uh, very well. Its mouth speaking great things, speaks to its arrogance. And this fits very well the description uh, we see in history of Rome, uh, given that the angel interprets the ten horns to indicate uh, ten rulers. We, we can definitely see this active in the Roman Empire. But, but you see also that this passage isn't um, too interested in expanding on the identity of these ten horns. It uh, goes in more detail to this little horn who blasphemes against God, wages war, uh, against and harasses the saints of the Most High, uh, tries to get rid of calendar and law. And as you can imagine, interpreters have a wide variety of opinions on this uh, little horn. Uh, everyone from uh, Antichius Epiphanes, whose uh, persecution in, during the Maccabean uh, revolt um, what was uh, quite dreadful to Jews, to Islam interpreted as this little horn to the Pope. Some of the reformers really love that one. Uh, To the end times, Antichrist, lots of different interpretations. Given that I take the fourth beast to be Rome, I, I take this little horn to be an emperor of Rome, probably somebody Like Titus or Domitian, maybe outside candidate like Nero. Uh, uh, At the same time, this little horn uh, certainly points to this antichrist pattern uh, we see through scripture and history. uh, As we see it described in the New Testament, persecuting followers of Jesus, denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, whose spirit is already at work in the world, uh, but but the point of this vision dream and its interpretation isn't to get your chart of history out and uh, figure out all the details of how how this is going to all go down so So what is the point? Well, uh, let me help us see it in a way that aids our our own uh, personal study uh, of God's Word. As elders, we don't want you guys to feel like DJ, Tom, and I have this special uh, ability, this special grid we run passages through that we come to an interpretation that you couldn't get to uh, on your own. Actually, we want are preaching and teaching to aid your own personal study of God's Word. We want it to aid as you maybe prepare for a community group. We want to aid that you can study through the Bible on your own. You can have a, a Bible study with a friend, a co-worker, and that our uh, how we demonstrate interpreting God's Word actually helps you uh, in that. Uh, so, you know, coming to this passage looking, well, what's the main point of it. So here are a few things I'm, you know, looking for. Uh, First of all is how are the events and the characters uh, presented? You see, more than just the bare facts matter when telling stories, when recounting dreams, visions. Uh, How you tell them matters. Daniel had plenty of details he could have included. And and what he includes and what he doesn't include uh, makes a big difference in how he presents those details, how he presents those characters matter. One thing I noticed uh, when the four beasts were described is how Daniel phrased their rule. Look at, in the first three beasts, look at the passive nature Of these beasts, the first beast, the wings are plucked off, made to stand. The mind of a man is given to it. Second beast, look how it's told to arise and devour much flesh. Third beast, dominion is given uh, to it. Uh, This is the divine passive, where God is invisible, but He is the the doer of the actions. In history, the kings appear to be the actors from a human perspective, but this uh, passage reconfigures uh, their role as God is the true agent of history. But, but then look how the fourth beast is portrayed. We see divine activity is noticeably absent. Uh, this beast abs- asserts its power and authority. But then look how our God crushes this beast and the little horn. We'll look at, v- at verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great works that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Verse 21 As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came came, and judgment was given for the saints of the most high and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Verse 26, but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to uh, the end. And, And look at uh, right before that, verse 25, uh, how it sets up, verse 26. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. They shall be given into his hand. God gives into the little horn's hand for a predetermined time. God is in full control and in the end he destroys his enemies. Which leads us to the truth that our God is in sovereign control over all kingdoms and he crushes his enemies. Do you believe that truth here today? Daniel's original audience desperately Needed to hear it, and we need to be reminded of it too. Why? Well, it doesn't really look like this truth is active in our world today. Uh, have you ever watched the news lately, or not even lately? It's very similar, just different, different names. There, there are a few different things going on. Same idea. Uh, and have you ever realized how depressing the nightly news can become with you know who killed who who's going to jail for what who threatened who basically how our world is coming undone and and, and you've seen they they understand this the, the networks do uh, how they try to portray some hope inserting some feel good uh, stories of you know people making a difference in our world and and, and I, I enjoy hearing those, and, and those are, are are definitely a good thing uh, but but that that hope doesn't have a root that goes down deep enough because it, it the good seems to be outweighed you know shooting after a shooting. But but we have a different narrative. Our God is in full control and he conquers his enemies. That is true hope. Our God's sovereign control, even closer to home, is that you know, God, has, God has set up the boss he has placed over you at work. He is in full control of that person Uh, That person can't do anything to you outside of God's sovereign hand. Uh, That will change how I go into work on Tuesday, how you go in to work on Tuesday. God is in uh, control of the money he has given you, the people he has placed in your life, your health, all things. God is in full, sovereign control. And... God crushes his enemies. Uh, th- this is very good news for those of us who love God. In, in this life, we long, and we should long for that final day to come when Satan and his team is finally defeated. That, that's hope when around us it seems like evil is winning. When those who despise God seem to be making out pretty good, but but if you are not a Christian here today, this is very scary news. Why? Well, God isn't playing around. You know, most non-Christians in America uh, think they maybe can still kind of identify as Christians or, or don't have to be all that you know committed or even call themselves. Christians, but still can, in some sense, be cool with the the big guy upstairs. They they can be skeptical, but still on, say, talking terms uh, with God if he if he does exist. The, the Bible presents a far different picture. Uh, according to Paul in Romans five, uh, those who are not Christians are enemies of God. And God crushes his enemies. Read this passage again. This is very terrible, scary news if you are not a Christian here today. But here's a glimmer of hope. I didn't tell you the whole story from Romans 5, verse 10. It says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more, since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? So at one time, all of us were, by nature, enemies of God. And Jesus came dying for those who, who hated him, reco- reconciling us To God through his death. Uh, If you are not a Christian here and and the Spirit is at work in you, do not resist his work. Respond in faith, believing what God has said and in repentance, seeing your sin for what it is the ugly offense to God. And, And if the Spirit is giving you a desire to be part of God's family, you are called God's Holy Ones in Daniel seven, not God's enemy. Don't resist the Spirit's work. God is in full sovereign control. He utterly destroys his enemies. So let's continue digging deeper in, you know, into the main point of this passage, looking at key things I'm looking looking for, to find this main message of the passage. We don't want to ignore, what is the author's conclusion? Here, we'll look at verse 18, and then 26 to 27. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Longer conclusion, verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and his dominions, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So, So the point isn't to indefinitely keep trying to figure out the identity of these beasts, especially this fourth beast and the little horn, that ultimately the holy ones of the Most High receive the kingdom. So what does it mean by holy ones? So this could refer to angels. In other uh, passages of Scripture, holy ones does refer to angels. However, given the context here, it seems far more likely this refers to saints. Uh, I take verse uh, 27, appositionally, the people of the holy ones of the Most High, I take that to be the people who are the holy ones of the Most High. After these four kingdoms comes the kingdom of the Most High, and his kingdom is an everlasting, an eternal kingdom where all authorities, rulers, powers will serve him. That's the end of the matter. Our sovereign God establishes his everlasting kingdom. In in these two conclusions, one briefer in verse 18, the expanded one in 26 through 27, uh, we, we again see the connectedness of king and kingdom. The kingdom belongs to God but we as God's people, God's holy ones, God's saints, can be said to receive it. I'll expand on that in a little bit. But for now, see the contrast between these other four kingdoms and God's kingdom. God's kingdom is greater than these other kingdoms. It replaces and destroys the four other kingdoms, and God's kingdom lasts forever and ever. These other kingdoms are portrayed as short blips on the radar, but before God's kingdom is established as the forever kingdom. Uh, Daniel and the angel don't want you to miss this uh, in the midst of all the noise, intrigue of these four, four beasts, the the kings and kingdoms they represent this little horn. They don't want you to to miss God's uh, sovereign establishment of His everlasting kingdom. the The message to the original readers and hearers of this is: be encouraged, do not lose heart. The situation may look bleak. You you may have a whole lot more questions than you have answers, but know where this is all going, God's eternal kingdom. So, so where are we now in relation to uh, God's kingdom? Uh, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament on this, uh, Luke 7. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look For another, in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them. Look! Look at his answer and how these signs reveal that the kingdom has arrived. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. But at the same time, Jesus also, in uh, the Lord's prayer, teaching the disciples how to pray, prays your kingdom come. Jesus has come, but not everyone recognizes uh, his kingdom for what it truly is. We are, as theologians like to call it, in the already, but not yet. His kingdom has been inaugurated, but it is not fully consummated. You know, we worship Jesus as king, king and expectantly wait for that day to come when every knee Does bow to King Jesus. Every uh, tongue does confess that Jesus is Lord. Do you believe this truth about God's kingdom? That his kingdom is everlasting and endures while all other kingdoms fade and are destroyed? How, How should this change how you live? Well, first of all, you should set your heart on God's kingdom by seeking his kingdom first. I know that this sounds a lot like the New Testament and Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you determine where your heart is by looking where your treasure is. What do you think about over and over again when you have time? What do you wish for and long for? Where do you spend your money? Where do you invest your quote-unquote free time? Uh, God is calling your bluff if you say your heart is set on God's kingdom, but your time, money, my time, my money, my thoughts, my energy reveals otherwise. God's kingdom is the one that lasts. Put your treasure there. Live for his kingdom first. Let's keep drilling into the the main point of uh, this passage. Uh, As we look at it, we we don't want to forget what the author comes back to time and time again. Now, sometimes this is in the form of a same concept restated presented in different ways. Sometimes it's a repetition of of same uh, language like it is in this passage. Uh, One word that comes up throughout this chapter is kingdom. You know, we've already seen uh, this and its importance to the chapter uh, being placed at the two conclusions that the angel uh, provides. But, But a very related term comes up Uh, over and over again. And again, this is emphasis. The word dominion. Verse six, concerning the third beast, dominion was given to it. Verse 12 again, as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 14, concerning the son of man, uh, from last week. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Verse 26 to 27. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Uh, this focus on dominion, power and authority it fits with the, the conclusion uh, of our sovereign God establishing his everlasting kingdom. But, but there's more to that. This, this chapter, this book, doesn't just drop out of nowhere uh, to us. Uh, Daniel knows the Old Testament very well. His audience is very well acquainted with the Old Testament, especially the Torah, the first of five books of the Old Testament, especially the Psalms. Dominion isn't just an issue that arises during Daniel's time. It's been an issue uh, from the beginning. It's been a battle that's been going on from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man to exercise dominion over his creation. Uh, being made in the image of God, humans were to act as God's vice regents. Uh, and we, we know the story of the Old Testament, the story of, of history and how humans did a very poor job of ruling righteously in God's stead. And we see in Psalm 8, David echoes this goal of dominion, your man ruling as God's vice regents. See, see its similarity and you, you can't help But know that Daniel's, as he records in the way he does this passage, that he's thinking of Psalm 8. He wants his readers to recognize the connection. Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Now we come back to Daniel 7 and we see Dominion at last, and, and who is exercising this dominion? Well, DJ told us about it last week in verses uh, 13 through 14. It is the Son of Man. This man, this human, though though this is written in Aramaic, the the original audience knew both Aramaic and Hebrew but very very similar, and, and they knew that the. Uh, Adam or Adam is Hebrew for man. That this dominion comes through a new son of Adam, through a new Adam, and his name is Jesus. Our God's everlasting kingdom arrives through this new Adam. Daniel's message to his Israelite audience, you know, wondering where God is, what God is doing in this very dark time in Jewish history is this, that God is sending a new Adam to reclaim dominion over all other kingdoms. And, and living on this side of the cross, we know that this new Adam is Jesus. Jesus. That's how God's everlasting kingdom arrives. arrives. If, if you're here, you know, trusting in your own effort, thinking that you're somehow helping God's kingdom by being a kind person, giving a little uh, money in the offering box, volunteering a few hours per week, you are deceived. You desperately need to trust in this new Adam who reclaims ultimate dominion and gives it to his people, as we see here in Daniel 7. Jesus is the king who gives the kingdom to the saints forever and ever. And and today here, if you you are a Christian, uh, this should invigorate your worship, should invigorate my worship of this Jesus. We receive the kingdom of the Most High. It is an everlasting kingdom in contrast to all the other kingdoms, both in this passage and we see active in our world today and our many kingdoms that we like to set up. And our new, and our king is the new Adam who reclaims uh, the dominion lost by our first parents. Where our first parents failed, Jesus uh, succeeded. Uh, think on that. Let, let that uh, cause you to worship Jesus, to, to worship him more fully that we would desire, cherish, love, prefer him above all else. So pray with me. Father God, We are in awe of Jesus. Help us to savor that, that we would see his work for what it is for reclaiming the dominion we lost and giving us the everlasting kingdom that destroys all other kingdoms. Give us hearts in tune with your word that we would value this Jesus above all else, that we would prioritize his kingdom above all the other kingdoms, a clamoring for our attention, for our allegiance. And uh, may we uh, run to the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.